Well, I like that. Uh, that was nice. That was great. Uh, I think our choir missed singing, and uh, what a beautiful way to do that. And, you know, uh, the Bible says um, if we don't praise Him, the rocks will cry out. Not, I kind of think, though, that there's a corollary to that idea of the rocks crying out, that when we feel struggles to praise Him or feel like we're limited in our praises of Him, we'll cry out, right? And we miss praising the Lord like we normally do. And you can just sense it's palpable on a day like today how desperate we are for the presence of the Lord's people. And, um, you know, I'm going to rant for one second. It's going to be a one-second rant. And um, I want to go ahead and warn everyone, as of right now, there's no clock back there. And so um, I just, you can turn around and look. It's not my fault. And uh, there's no clock back there right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I just want to say, you know, you hear, hear this sort of talk about uh, the churches that won't do well or the ones that assume that, that it won't all be online later and, you know, in person everything is going down and digital everything's going up. And I want to say, if you've been through one Zoom meeting during this, you know how dumb that idea is. Uh, nothing replay. I mean, we see folks that understand this, and I lo- I lo- I've had to worship online a couple of times, and many of you, that's the only experience you get. And I oftentimes want to say what an insult that is for those of us who are able-bodied and able to come out and worship and everything else. What an insult that is for us, for those who are homebound, who desperately long to be with the Lord's people and who know that what they experience every Sunday is not the same. They miss it, and I hear from them when I visit them in their homes or talk to them. And uh, there, there is nothing that will ever replace the gathered body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we want to be available to folks outside the church. We've got, we're on Facebook, we're on TV, and we don't plan to stop that. That's important. That's a ministry. That's essential. We worshiped Jesus through this entire time, but nothing will replace the gathered body of Christ. And I just want us all to remember that. And you, you didn't need me to say that after this morning, did you? You can feel it, can't you? You can feel it. If you have your Bibles, open up to James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. And once you're open there, if you would, why don't we go ahead and stand together out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. James writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us, beginning verse 13. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we ask that you would please open our hearts and our minds today to receive your word. God, we pray that we would receive it with gladness, and Father, that we would be changed by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We are living through, and have been living through over the last several months, the opening illustration to this sermon. 
Okay, so just think about the last six months of your life, and there's the opening illustration. Uh, plans don't always do what we want them to do, do they? Now, I don't think any of us, and I know many of us, have agonized over having to change plans during this time. I preached a wedding yesterday that was a changed wedding. Many of you have had to cancel vacations. You've had to cancel all sorts of plans. You had to put business plans on hold. You had to accelerate other things. Nobody is doing what they thought they would be doing. As I said to one person as they walked in today, I said, I never thought I'd be this excited about September 13th. You talk about a nondescript date, right? Nobody would have guessed. It's going to be a great day on September 13th. Nobody's year looks like we thought it would. I, I left a pack of Easter invitations sitting on a table downstairs for months. I just couldn't bear to throw them away, right? Just kind of crushed by the thought of all that we lost, even as a church this year. Nobody thought it would look like it did. And yet here we are in a place in this text that is one of those sorts of passages that we just don't quite know what to do with. We just don't know quite how to handle it. What is James saying? What is he really driving at? There's nothing more simple, more intuitive. There's nothing that comes more naturally to us. There's really nothing more mundane than making plans. And even the way we make plans has changed. Have you ever said this? I don't know how in the world we figured out how to do anything before we had cell phones. You ever had to change where you're going to eat lunch or change where you're going to eat supper? Sometimes I say, I don't even know what to do. I can't envision a world where I couldn't text somebody and say this or say that. It's just natural. We naturally make plans. We have plans here at the church. Every church in America had a Vision 2020. It was really good uh, foresight now, looking back. What a year to say this is when our vision's going to be complete, 2020. Nobody quite got there. And yet here we are. In chapter 4, verse 10, James talks about how God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And now he's, he's putting some rubber on the road for us. Three different examples. Last week we looked at one example of how we speak about our neighbor. And everybody talks. And everybody talks about people. It's what we do. And then today we're going to think about how you make your plans. And everybody makes plans. It almost feels like, if you don't know better, James is just sort of being nitpicky with us. Like, you can't do anything. You can't open your mouth. You can't decide what you're going to do next year. You can't spend your money without doing something wrong. That's not what the Bible's teaching at all. Today, I, I want to help you see what James is driving at, what he's teaching you. And what I want you to do today is think about your future. Th think about where you're going. And think about the ways that you so often and I so often, we all so often allow subtle pride in our lives. And so this morning, to fight that sort of pride of life, I want to show you three points that are going to help you cultivate a heart of humility. Three truths from this text that are going to help you cultivate a heart of humility. Here's the first. Here's the first. Remember tomorrow is not promised. Remember, tomorrow is not promised. Today is September 13th, and obviously two days ago was September 11th. We know it is 9-11 now. And we think back on that, and we think back of all those people 
who went to work like it was a normal Tuesday, right? Just the most mon- Tuesday may be the most mundane day of the week, right? It, it's just another Tuesday. So many people went to work that day, and yet we were all shocked. And I think all of us faced, and for me, for the first time in my life on 9-11, I really faced and had to square up with the reality of my own mortality. Really think and own the fact that I'm not promised tomorrow. James gives us a picture here of someone. What does he say? Come now, you who say today or tomorrow. This is verse 13. We will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade, make a profit. Now, some of you may be making plans like that right now, right? Some of you may be sitting here thinking, I am trying to think through this job or that job. My wife just got a new job. And so we're sitting there thinking through and analyzing and thinking through, is this the right job? Is this what we want to do? Is this how we want to handle this? These are the sorts of plans that we're thinking about. And yet you see the way that there is subtle pride in the way this is discussed. Just a, just a subtlety of pride. We'll do it today, or we'll do it tomorrow. The day is ours to choose. We may do it in this town, we may do it in that town, but the town is there for us to choose. We'll spend a year there. The amount of time is there for us to choose. And there's no question, because I am such a, uh, a gifted and blessed businessman, a man of acumen or a woman of acumen, we'll trade there and we'll make a profit. And then we'll come back and maybe even decide to do it again. How does James answer that? What, what is James's response? What does he say? Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You may think that you could do that today or tomorrow, You may think that you'll go to such and such a town. You may think that you'll spend even a year there. You may think time is on your side. You may think you're going to trade and make a profit. And I think all of us live thinking that this is the way things are and this is how they will continue to be and the world belongs to me. The world is my oyster. Take it down, wrap it around, put it in my pocket. Belongs to me. But James asks the question, what is your life what is your life what does he say how does he describe what our life looks like you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes it's like you're taking your child to school in the morning on a winter morning and they draw a picture that they're so proud of on the way to school And they just can't figure out why it's not there in the afternoon. That's our life. That's our life. It's like you've taken a shower and you get out and the mirror is fogged. And before you even really realize it, the fog has cleared. And you can see in the mirror. That's our life. It's not something we can control. It's not something we're over. We have to develop think through and understand and put our focus on the fact that one of the most important things that a Christian can do is regularly remind themselves that life is a vapor, that tomorrow is not promised. Some of us are young and healthy and we just see all of life in front of us and it would be good for you to develop a healthy Christian morbidity. Just to be just a tiny bit morbid. Just to remember every day, I'm not in control. 
Who are you to speak about your neighbor, James asks, reminding us of our place before God in the previous passage. And today he asks, what is your life? We get lulled into a sense that life is permanent. And we get lulled into a sense that the the world as it is right now is permanent. That we're owed the world as it is. That this will never change. We, We begin to live as if invictus and not the Bible is true. We tell ourselves, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. But really, what is your life? Take that moment. Maybe tonight, maybe you'll fall asleep too soon tonight, but at some point, take that moment when you lay your head on the pillow, everybody else is asleep, and you're by yourself, and you're alone there with your own heartbeat. Sometimes I lay there and I feel my heart beating. You know, you don't always think about your heart beating, but sometimes at night, I'm alone with my own heartbeat, and I have a weird thought. I'm not doing one thing right now to keep this thing beating. I'm not doing one thing right now. There is nothing in this world that's more important to me in this moment than that that thing beats again. And there's not one thing I can do to make it beat again. It's a reminder. Every night when we go to sleep, the reminder, though I may lay down and I think I've got to do this and this and this and this tomorrow, it could be. That before you open your eyes again, you face your Lord. A Christian must remember that tomorrow is not promised. And if we're going to move toward humble lives, this is something we must remember. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on into verse 15. And that leads us to our second point, which is another way that we have to fight this. Not only just to remember that tomorrow is not promised, but another fight that we have to fight here is that I would encourage you to develop a liturgy, like like an order of worship in the course of your week. Develop a liturgy of humility. Develop a liturgy of humility. What does James say in verse 15? Instead. Okay, so you you may be sitting there saying, well, I guess I just ought not to make any plans, right? Ought to just live for today, not think about tomorrow. Eat, drink, and be merry, right? For tomorrow we die. That's, a, that's not Dave Matthews' band, contrary to popular belief. That's, he got that from the Bible. And the Bible doesn't state that positively, right? That's a way to demonstrate a sort of worldview that doesn't, that doesn't live as if there's going to be a tomorrow. That, that's a sort, of, uh, 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 a sort of hedonistic worldview. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. So you might just say, well, should I just not make plans? Should I just not try anything? Is it any sort of business or any sort of trying or any sort of plans? Is that prideful? No, that's not the biblical answer. What does James say? In fact, James doesn't critique a single thing that this person has done. What does he simply say? What what, what does he argue? Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now, I think we've all known people who just they couldn't say a sentence without saying Lord willing. To the point that you almost it it can become sort of a talisman, like a rabbit's foot that we use, right? If we're not careful. And you see the disciples and other people talk about these things and say things, and they don't always just say at the end of every single sentence, Lord willing. Though I don't think that's a bad practice. I, I don't think it's a bad thing to find yourself in the habit of saying, Lord willing. Some 
older authors, you would often see, they would add DV to the end of a sentence. Deo valorum, that means God willing, Lord willing. But what I want you to do is recognize that simply put, this issue, like the rest of the Bible, boils down to what's going on in here. It's not so much about good plans. It's a good thing to plan, right? I hope many of you will make plans. Turn a profit and tithe that profit, right? That's what we hope will happen. That's our hope and prayer. But I don't want you to think, right? I don't want you to think. I don't want you to think for a moment that where you're at in your heart and how you're thinking and understanding in your heart about those plans isn't important. It's a heart issue. And each and every one of us has to wean ourselves off an addiction to the thought that we are independent and in control. And I have to do that, and I'm your pastor. And I'm thinking about church all the time, and I'm sitting around strategizing about church all the time, coming up with church plans and church thoughts. Let's do this at church, and let me think about church like this. And so often I stop and I think, when was the last time I thought about whether or not God even is going to let me do that? I dream about things here, right? I dream about the Lord doing things here, and yet it's the Lord's choice. God is in control. But I do want you to recognize that James is intentionally saying something you can do about your heart. <laughs> right? He's not just saying change your heart. He's given us an example. You should say, Lord willing. So let me just talk about a, a liturgy of humility. A daily, weekly approach to being humble. First, let's use James' primary example here. First, remind yourself in your language how dependent you are on God. Remind yourself in your language how dependent you are on God. It might be good for you to make a habit, an actual habit of adding Lord willing when you make plans. That may just be a simple liturgy that you need to add to your life just to simply at the end of a sentence say, Lord willing, we'll do that. Lord willing, you know, and, and so that's one way I do it. I just say, Lord willing, a lot, if the Lord wills it. Now, I don't think this is a little incantation or a legalistic approach. I don't think you have to work it into every sentence. I think, though, it might help train your heart to think more about God. And so not just to say, Lord willing, I would encourage you to use language that reminds you of your dependence on God and language that reminds you of your fallibility. You're not perfect. Here, here are a few examples of how I do that. It's something I struggle with, so I, I do this. So I say, Lord willing. A lot of times, I'll just say, I plan to do that. So if you say, now, are y'all doing this next week? I say, that's my plan. That, that's a way, and sometimes somebody may say, is, is he trying to be coy or something? Is he trying to get out of committing to this? No, I'm not. I just am trying to remind myself that God may not have it in the cards for me to do that next week. That's my plan, but the Lord may have other plans. And I don't really want to preen in front of people, so I don't only say, you know, I don't want to make people feel weird. It's easy to do. Say, that's my plan. If our sovereign God allows it, you know, that's how you lose friends. <laughs> Just something simple like I plan to. Lord willing, I'll do it. When somebody says, now did this happen and I wasn't there? Or has so-and-so got this sickness and I wasn't there? I don't know 100% for sure, even if I... Just to be sure, you know what I say a lot? I say, that's my understanding. 
I understand that to be the case because I'm fallible and I don't know for sure. And that's a reminder for me, and I need the reminder every day, hey, Alexander, you're not as smart as you think you are. You're just not as, you're not as sharp as you think you are. It's good to, to speak with a level of, of humility, and I'm not doing that to try to demonstrate to others that I'm humble. I'm doing that to remind my own heart to be humble. It's a liturgy of humility where I'm trying to train my heart to be humble before God. James leads off this section on pride and humility in calling the people to prayer. So not only would I say in your language, but second of all, a way to develop and foster a liturgy of humility is through regular prayer. Regular prayer. I think we often just go to God when we want something. Everybody's got that friend, right? They only call you when they want something. Somebody's like, that's you, preacher. You only call me when you want me to be on a committee. Call me, I promise. I'd love to hear from you. No, we know that. We sometimes only go to God when we want something. But it's wise for us to pray regularly about everything so that our heart is transformed and we're reminded of our dependence on God. And then finally, I would encourage you to reflect on God's sovereignty. Not only God's control over all things, and one way I like to reflect on God's sovereignty and His control over all things in my life is I like to look back in my life and I like to see the way that some of the most, most formative moments of my life were totally outside my control. Most of the best things that have ever happened to me, I fell backwards into. Just, you know, I, I was not in control of when these things happened. What, what would my life look like if Whitney Walker hadn't decided over Thanksgiving break that she wanted a cup of coffee at Jamocha's Coffee House in Boaz, Alabama? What miracle of God existed to the sense that there was a coffee house in Boaz, Alabama for her to go to? <laughs> what would my life look like? What would my life look like if I hadn't been studying Hebrew? That night. It's like the only night of my life I ever studied Hebrew. And there I was, studying Hebrew. I, I like to look back and think, you know, all the best things in my world. Now, eventually I had to do something, but the, it was God's sovereignty that put me in those places. I was responsible. I had to ask her out. Buddy, I did, and I haven't stopped since. But at the same time, God is in control. But also, I want you to reflect, and this is a big word, but I want you to reflect on it. I want you to reflect on God's aseity, A-S-E-I-T-Y. God is totally independent, and you're not. God is, is, is not contingent upon anything. God is not dependent on anything. With or without you, with or without us, with or without the world, with or without anything, God is God. He has always been God. He will always be God with no help from anyone or anything. And yet you are not. You are dependent. You are contingent. And so it's a good thing to think theological thoughts because it's a good reminder when your brain starts to hurt and your brain starts to stretch and you start to think, I just don't get this. It's a good reminder that you don't get God and that's sometimes a good thing. The things about Him we can't understand. And so we have to fight the sin of pride in our reckoning of our own lives by developing a liturgy of humility. Just, just building into the warp and woof of how you live and how you behave. Reminders that God is God and you're not. And that leads us just kind of a summation of the whole sermon and part of what I think James is driving his hearers to do here, and that's to flee from the sin of arrogance. 
without that little heart change, without that little tick there, I'm going to do this, 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 if God wills it. Without our heart being there, what does James say? If we're not there, he says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. It's, a, it's boasting and it's evil, the Bible says. And so I, you know, we kind of joke a little, but my friends, I, I want you to flee from arrogance. And I want you to flee from a sort of practical atheism that sees every day but Sunday as a day you're in control of. And Sunday is the day when you go, go bless the Lord with your presence and you go back to your life and you just keep doing so and so and whatever you want to do and whenever you want to do it and I'll go here and I'll do this and I'll do this without ever thinking I am dependent on God. You think about all the problems in our society that are caused by that problem. By people just simply ceasing to give thanks to their Creator. Thankfulness. We must flee from the sin of arrogance before God. We must cease to tolerate the sin in our lives and we must recognize that it's worse than we think. All such boasting is evil, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Do you see the way that James is connecting this verse to the rest of the passage? Do you see how he's saying that this practical atheism drives more of our sins than we even realize? Do you see how he takes this verse that most of us kind of have memorized on its own, apart from the rest of the context, and we just think it's talking about sins of omission in general? And perhaps, yes, there's application there. You've got to do what you think is right. What you know to be right, you must do it. But so many of us, and what I think James is driving at, is that so many of us try to hide from the reality that God is in control, and we aren't. At our very heart, since the Garden of Eden, our desire has been to play God. And in the simplest of things, that tendency rears its head. In the simplest of things, our tendency to want to be God rears its head. In the way we speak about our neighbor. In the way we make plans. In the way we think about our wealth and our riches and our money. And yet we persistently desire to play God. And here we are and it's 2020. And I'm sitting here thinking, Alexander, if you don't know you're not God by now, What's it going to take? I ask you, if you aren't sure you're not God by now, what else do you need to be reminded? Reminded, Your life is fleeting. Build a pattern of humility in your life and flee from the sin of arrogance. But most importantly, I want to encourage every one of you here. It's what we try to do every Sunday. It's what we try to, how we try to reset our lives every week. Keep your eyes set on on our sovereign God. Keep a Godward look in your life. Keep your eyes out above the dust looking at God who's out there and who's in control and who's in your life because to recognize, you must recognize that the more you look at Him, and the more you have your focus on Him, the less likely you are to think you are Him and the less likely you are to harbor pride and arrogance in your life. I want to offer everyone an opportunity to respond to the Lord today. While our altar's not open yet because of social distancing requirements, nonetheless, we want to give you a few moments now to reflect uh, this morning and have a time of reflection 
And so I want to encourage you, as Sharon plays here in just a moment, uh, to reflect on what you've heard here today and to pray through what the Lord may have you to do. And after this service, I'd love to talk to you about whatever uh, He may put on your heart during this time. And so you may be an unbeliever, and you may say, I need to put my trust and faith in Jesus and His grace for the first time. Now is the time to respond to the Lord. You may be a believer, and you may say, Pastor, I just need to work on pride and arrogance in my life and thinking I'm in control and God's not. Now's a great time to reflect on that. Finally, you may be looking for a church home. Now's a great time for you to reflect, ask the Lord what, what obedience would look like for you in church membership. Perhaps that's here. And after the service today, I'd love to talk to you about any of those things. After this prayer, I want to invite you to take some time to reflect. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for his gospel. And God, we thank you for this opportunity we have to reunite as a family. And God, I pray that you would remind us of your sovereignty and your control. And Lord, that you would eradicate the pride from our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.